do have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 11 and 12 uh, this morning whenever we get to it, but um, go ahead and flip there. And while you are, I'm sure you know that this time of year, people start throwing around the idea of New Year's resolutions. Um, I don't know how you feel about resolutions, but if they make you uncomfortable, I suppose it's because you know the depravity of the human heart. You know the weakness of your own will. You know the difficulty of fighting sin. And so anything that tastes remotely like, well, I'm just going to do better by my own power, by my own will, by my own resolve, anything that tastes remotely like that tastes bitter to you. You hear that and you think, yeah, right. Not in a million years could I do those things on my own, much less in one. It's also possible that some of the resolutions that you hear that are thrown out there just seem sort of superficial to you, surface level. They feel like random little self-help goals. They're not wrong in and of themselves, but you don't see how it is that they fit in with your greatest needs, if you were really being honest. Deep down, you know that there is a war inside of your heart against pride and anger and lust and greed and laziness. And those heart issues are so real, so serious for you, it seems silly to just make resolutions like, this year I want to learn to knit. I want to study a language. I want to join a gym once again for the month of January. You wonder, how is it that I take these heart issues like lust, this comprehensive thing that seems to have a grip on my life and put it into a nice little neat list like I find online about what I'm going to try to do next year. And so you end up going into the new year torn. You know that you need to grow. You know you have specific Areas of growth in mind and in your heart. There's some things that you would like to do that you think would bring glory and honor to Christ, but you feel weird about making resolutions. You're not sure exactly how to do them. And then somewhere along the line, you heard that Jonathan Edwards made resolutions and he was pretty smart. He knew his Bible. So something must be right if Edwards did it. And you realize you're doing that same old thing again where it must be right if Edwards did it or if Spurgeon did it or if John Owen did it. And you really just want to know if the Bible says to do it. Does God's word give you the right to make resolutions? And if so, why should you do them and how should you do them? That's really what it boils down to, isn't it? Does the Bible say I should make resolutions? And if so, how can I not do it the way that the world does it? That's what this morning's passage is all about. So let's read it together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Here's Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica. 
To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, Paul always prays that God would fulfill their every resolve for good. And the key word there is resolve. This church in Thessalonica was filled with Christians who had resolutions. Christians who resolved to do good. They were determined to do it. Your translation might say desire. It might say purpose, like they purposed to do good or they desire it. But this is ultimately like saying they had resolutions. And notice that Paul doesn't chastise them for it, does he? He actually expects them to have these resolutions. He doesn't command them to make resolutions. His assumption is that Christians possess desires, ambitions, purposes, resolutions for good. And instead of shying away from those, Paul prays that God would fulfill them by his power. Now that's a far cry from thinking that resolutions are wrong or else Paul would have just condemned it. Just sit on your hands. Just sit on your hands. Don't do anything. Don't make resolutions. Don't desire to do something for good. Just sit on your hands. That's what Paul would have said. God would do it in you. No, he expects them to have desires and determinations to do good. But this is also a far cry from the way that our culture does it. Because if Paul did it the way our culture did it, he would rely on the strength of the Thessalonians, not on the power of God. But he prays for God to fulfill their every resolve for good. So as of now, up to this point, we've at least seen enough here to know that we don't need to run away from having resolutions. There is a biblical warrant for them and they can be done in a way that is different from the world. So in the remaining time that we have, I want to show you what else these two verses have to say. So if there's one sentence to take with you into the new year, it would be this. We should always pray for God to fulfill every resolve for good. We should always pray for God to fulfill every resolve for good. That's what our text teaches us. Now, what I love about Paul's letters is that he almost always gives us the reason why. He gives us the purpose for doing something, which is very important if you're somebody who's motivated by bringing glory to God. People with a passion for God's glory want to know, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the point? The people of God are passionate about God's glory. The Bible says Jesus died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but we would live for him who died on our behalf. So 
Christians are glory-motivated people. Jesus being glorified becomes the passion of life. They are to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. There's something that makes everybody tick. If some people are won over by the benefit that certain actions would be to their children or to their career or their job or to their bank account or to their education, if it will enhance what's most precious to them, then they're all in for it. Well, Paul motivates the church too, but he motivates the church with glory. Most of his commands are like, do this so that God would be glorified in your life. And it takes a new God-adoring heart to be motivated by that kind of purpose. So it's worth asking us before we dive into this, is that all the motivation that you need? God being glorified? Is that what you get out of bed for in the morning? Because it's really the purpose here that makes all the difference between why Christians make resolutions and why the world makes them. So I want to dive into this purpose. What is the purpose for always praying that God would fulfill our every resolve for good? So we're going to look at the purpose now and I see two main things. Here's the first reason, the first purpose that Paul gives for doing this. We should do it for us to be glorified in Jesus. Verse 11 says, Paul is always praying for God to fulfill their every resolve for good, every work of faith by his power. Why? What's the purpose? Verse 12, so that, look at this, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. The result of prayer in this way, is not only that Jesus would be glorified in us, but it's us being glorified in Jesus. Now, in, in the Bible, salvation is all-encompassing. It includes justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, we place our faith and trust in Jesus. We are justified. We are declared righteous. Not because we actually are, but Jesus' is perfection Jesus' holiness is credited to us. We're declared righteous. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more righteous, more and more holy. You might say this is the process of growing in Christ, growing in your faith. You're not just declared righteous anymore, but you are becoming more and more like Jesus in actuality. And then ultimately there's glorification, which is the pinnacle when we are going to see Jesus face to face, we will be transformed in the blinking of an eye, will be fully perfected. So Paul's praying that God fulfills our every resolve for good so that we would be glorified in Christ, which has ultimately future ramifications, but it seems, I think in this context, to have present day, right now, ramifications. It seems that glorification here includes that process of growth in Christ-likeness. So I'll show you how I get that. Look at verse 11. Paul says, To this end we always pray for you 
that our God may make you worthy of his calling. In the end, or right now, that he would make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Those are current desires, current works. So Paul's praying that he would make us worthy of God's calling. And as we just talked about, our calling is a calling to salvation, to glorification. As Romans 8.30 says, those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. That is our calling. It's a calling to glory. And Paul prays that God would make us worthy of it. Now, that doesn't mean we deserve it or earn it, which might be where red flags start to go off in your mind. Make us worthy of this calling. Make us worthy of the gospel. I'm never worthy of it, is what you might think. That's not what Paul means. He doesn't mean that you deserve it or that you earn your salvation or your glorification. Because here the calling's already been given to us purely by grace. What it does mean is that we ought to live a life in accordance with it. A life that is suitable to that calling. A life that brings honor and glory to God. A life that pleases him. I think John Piper gives a very helpful illustration with this. He talks about what if a special guest were to come to your home? Some highly respected leader. And so what do you start to do? You begin to clean your house. All the surfaces are spotless. The candles give an ambiance in the room that gives a pleasing aroma. The floor is mopped and vacuumed to perfection. But you notice after you clean everything that one thing just stands out in the room and it's out of place. Perhaps it's a dusty end table. It's dirty. And it's not suitable for your guest. It's not worthy of your guest. So what do you do? You decide to clean it to make it worthy of your guest. Now, when you say that, I'm going to make this end table worthy of my guest. You aren't saying that the end table deserves this high-ranking official. The end table doesn't earn the special guest's visit. What you're really saying is the opposite. You're saying that the guest deserves better. The guest deserves better than a dusty end table. So you clean it to make it worthy of the guest. And that's what Paul is saying about our calling. Not that you and I would ever deserve our calling, but that our calling deserves better of us. It's given to us freely. But now Paul prays that we would clean off the dusty end tables in our lives. That we would live a life that is suitable to the calling that we have. In other words, our calling is so high, so secure, so grand, so wonderful that it deserves more of us, doesn't it? We never deserve it. It deserves more of us. And so Paul prays that God would make us worthy of that calling. And he does that while he mentions current, present day, resolves for good and works of faith, praying that God would fulfill every single one of them. His prayers for God to fulfill these resolves. 
And that is simultaneous with his prayer to make us worthy of God's call. So here's what we should make of that. The reason why we should always pray for God to fulfill our every resolve for good is so that God would fulfill them. So that those resolves would become works. And those works of faith would be brought to fruition. And our lives would become more and more worthy of the calling we have. And that would be a part of us being glorified in Jesus. As Paul says, we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Perhaps that happens. Perhaps we're transformed. Perhaps we're glorified in Jesus from one degree of glory to another when we pray that God would fulfill our resolves for good. Doesn't this answer our desire to be more like Jesus? In all of these areas of life where we see the old person creeping in instead of the new person in Christ soaring in holiness. If you want to be more like Jesus, more holy like he is holy, then you need to do this. You need to have resolves desires, purposes in your heart and in your mind to grow in Christlikeness, to live a life worthy of your calling as a child of God. And then you need to always pray, always ask God to fulfill every single one. So they'd become deeds in your life so that you'd actually do them and you'd be glorified in Christ. Transformed from glory to glory in his image. So that's the first reason why we should do this. There's some of you who really, really want that. So do it so that you would be glorified in Jesus. There's a second reason that Paul gives us. We should always pray for God to fulfill every resolve for good so that Jesus would be glorified in us. Look at that purpose clause again in verse 12. Paul prays for this. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And so we need to ask ourselves, why why would always praying for God to fulfill every resolve for good by his power result in Jesus being glorified in us? I think there's primarily two reasons. I think the first is that Jesus is glorified when we become more like him. If, if God is making a piece of handiwork and the handiwork doesn't look like you, but looks more and more like Jesus, Jesus is the one who receives the glory, not us. So that's one reason. I think the second reason is because this growth in Christlikeness is all by Jesus' grace. It's not by just our effort. Verse 12 says, So the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So our growth in these resolves, becoming works of faith, is all by Jesus' grace. 
And that's why Paul prays for God to fulfill our good resolves, not by our power, but by his power. In fact, that's why Paul even prays at all, because he knows that God must be the one to do it, or else he would just tell the Thessalonians, you go do this. You go fulfill your resolves for good. But he doesn't do that. He prays that God would do it. He knows that God must do it. And so he asks him to act according to the grace of Jesus. So it's Jesus who receives glory here when we're transformed from one degree of glory to the other. When your good resolves in your heart and mind turn into works of faith, it's all because of Jesus' grace. So let me read a few passages that highlight this point. You don't have to turn there. Here's the first one. 1 Peter 5.12. Peter's writing to these Christians and saying, Whoever serves ought to serve by the strength that God supplies. Not by their strength. Serve by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's like saying, Jesus would be glorified in your life if he fulfills these resolves by his power, by his grace. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Go, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God Who's at work in you? And there's a key verse that Paul mentions, and he mentions grace all in it. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So did he become what he is just because he's a diligent worker? He became who he is by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Here he goes, on the contrary, I, here's Paul talking, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's why we sang, yet not I, but through Christ. So Paul was a man with many good resolves, wasn't he? He had many works of faith, and he chalks every single one up to the grace of God. And that same Paul now desires God's grace and God's power to be with others as they live their lives worthy of the gospel. And what does he do? He prays. He always prays that that would be the case in their lives, that Jesus would fulfill those resolves and Jesus would receive the glory. So those are the two purposes in there. Why should we always pray for God to fulfill our every desire for good? Why? so that we would be glorified in Jesus, and so Jesus would be glorified in us. So what should we do in response to this text? How should we live now? Does this passage have any implications for the new year? I'll give you two. Resolve to do Jesus glorifying good and always pray for God to fulfill it by his power. Resolve to do Jesus glorifying good 
and always pray for God to fulfill it by his power. Resolve and pray. Resolve and pray. Resolve for Jesus' glory. Pray for God's power. So I want to make some quick comments about each. Resolve to do Jesus' glorifying good. The difference between the world's resolutions and ours is the purpose. Christians desire for Jesus to be glorified in our lives. And so we should pray for it. But before we can pray for God to fulfill the good resolves in our hearts, we first need to have some. So have some. Now, I've spent a lot of time with you folks, enough to know that you do have in your heart resolves and desires and purposes that are uniquely Christian. New Year's around the corner. I've heard some of you talking about adopting a Bible reading plan. You want to be a reader and a lover and a doer of God's word. So resolve to do this. It's okay to say I want to read the Bible this year. Right. Some of you have been talking about bodily discipline, self-control, so that you can be healthy and you can have longevity of life and service unto God, wherever he might call you. You want to take care and be a good steward of the body that he's given. So resolve to do this. I've also been a part of conversations where you're talking about living life with each other more. Having certain nights in the week where members would come over for dinner or going on play dates with the kids at the park or being more involved in the lives of other church members, getting to know people in our church that you're not as close with. All of this for the purpose of helping each other grow, become more like Jesus. This does bring glory to Jesus. And so it is okay to resolve to do this. And in the same token, I've heard Desires about hanging out with unbelievers and church members at the same time. Some of you desire to share the gospel with your neighbors or at least get to know their names. Or to have a Bible study at work. Resolve to do this. Some of you aspire to greater hospitality in your home. Perhaps your heart is magnetized to the wonderful blessing that foster care and adoption can be, as I've heard some of you resolve to do these things for God's glory, to become more like Christ, for Jesus to be magnified in your life. Or your heart's desire might be set on killing some particular sin, destroying pornography's grip, Stripping away every ounce of greed, uprooting anger and bitterness and tossing it away. So mortify your sin. Set your heart to it for the glory of Jesus. For the glory of Jesus, become more holy as he is holy. I know there's desires represented in this room for a deeper prayer life. 
for more faithful family worship, for more consistent discipleship in your household, for greater generosity towards the church, more compassion for the nations, better stewardship of your talents for God's praise, more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Resolve to do these things, Christian. For the glory of Jesus, commit yourselves to these resolves for good. And if you don't have anything pressing on your heart, you need to ask yourself, have I been called by Jesus? Do I know my calling is sure? Am I truly a child of the King? Will I one day be changed in the blinking of an eye? If so, why don't I have a desire to live a life worthy of that calling? And after you've searched your heart about this, you go and read your Bible and you pray to your Savior and you talk with other believers in this church and you figure it out. What should I do in order to live a life worthy of God's call? Figure that out and then make a resolution to do it for Jesus' glory. So with all these resolves in mind, let's make sure we resolve to do the second point of application here. Always pray for God to fulfill every resolve for good by His power. Always pray that God would fulfill the things we just talked about. What if our biggest problem is forgetting how dependent we are on God's power to do anything? I mean, didn't Jesus say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. Isn't that interesting? I mean, aren't these holy resolves that we would have for good, for God's glory, aren't they ultimately, if we boil it down, about bearing much fruit in our lives? Don't we want to grow and bear fruit? We want our lives to be fruitful in holiness. And who does Jesus say it is that will bear much fruit? He who abides in him. Why? He says, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, perhaps some of us are relying on our own strength instead of God's. So we come away from sermons with our hearts burdened, perhaps like you do today, there might be a promise that you desire to hold on to and to cling to. There might be a work of faith that you want to accomplish, but we leave from here and we don't pray about it. We don't talk about it with others. So we come away from these sermons. We're burdened. We try to do it on our own. The question would be, have we forgotten who we are and how we've gotten here? We are new creatures in Christ purely by grace. And who we've become now in Christ in sanctification is also a product of pure grace. So we need to hear, I think, 
Paul's rebuke, if this is one of our struggles, which it is always going to be a struggle for us until we meet the Savior face to face. We need to hear Paul's rebuke in Galatians 3, 3, where he looks at these people and he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The point there is, don't try to be perfected by the flesh. It must be done by God's power and grace. So perhaps the lack of growth in our lives is because we lack reliance upon God's power. And perhaps that's ultimately why we don't always pray for every good resolve. Prayer trusts God. It's not just saying, I hope this happens. It's actually trusting God to do something in people's hearts and minds and in their wills for his glory. Do you believe God can do that? That's how you became a Christian. It's how we will continue as one. So if we don't pray, it might be because we lack trust in God. Now, let me just ask you a question. What would happen if every time you had a resolve for good, this would be a good goal. This might even be a good resolution in and of itself. What would happen if every time you had a resolve for good, you made a request to God? What if you turned your resolves to requests, your aspirations to asks, your purposes to prayers, your intentions to intercessions? Because we cannot do them on our own. We need God's power to fulfill them. So turn every resolve into a request. Don't run away from New Year's resolutions. In fact, I actually pray that you'd always have new resolves for good. That there would always be new works of faith that you desire to accomplish for the glory of God in your life. So have them. But at the same time, always pray for God to fulfill every single one. Even the smallest of them. Don't let a single resolve slip past the throne of grace. I'd be remiss if I didn't close by mentioning one last thing. In this passage... There's something remarkable to me. I hope it's remarkable to you, but you can almost miss it if you aren't careful. Paul did all of this prayer, not for himself, but for others. This was him praying this way for every resolve of the Thessalonians. So yes, always pray for God to fulfill your every resolve for God. But starting right after this service, Begin praying for God to fulfill others' every resolve for good. I mean, just imagine the wonders in your life if you just did this for yourself. If you just started praying for every resolve for good in and of yourself. And then imagine the wonders of a church if we were all doing this for one another all the time. Always and for every single resolve for good. I think that the glories would abound evermore. So go, resolve, and pray.